friends. Welcome to episode 236 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? You know, it's been a long week and yeah. it's odd recording off schedule. I just, I feel weird about it. Yeah. Pre-recorded show today, guys. So yeah. uh, we're, we're doing this one on the Friday before this comes out. Um, yeah. You've got, uh, like, an anniversary and then a work conference. Yes, that's super busy. After, like, I'm glad we did this and not tried to do it, like, remotely because I looked at, like, what was going to fall during the time schedule and I was like, no. Yeah, no. you've got, like, you've got, like, some things at that conference that are starting at, like, 9 p.m., you yeah. know? Yeah. It's, know. It's, what, it's... what attention span you think you're going to have at that I point, don't know. But... It's, it's going to be, I mean, they're all, like, meet and greet things at that late, and so mm-hmm. it's like, do I want to even go to yeah. these things? But at the same time, like, it's all new information that I'm going to be cramming into my head. And right. I wish it was, I wish it was something more hobby-related, but it is not in any way, so... But, uh, so yeah, that's going to be my next week, so I'll be exhausted by the time I get done with that. But I think, no, so not, it, let's see, this weekend we've got nothing going on, next weekend. Uh, I think it's the weekend after. Like, weekend that, after. We've got, we've got some rescheduled Mouse Guard. Rescheduled Mouse Guard, that's right. Uh, we still haven't got Nova Praxis rescheduled, and it looks like I'm getting uh, a birthday game yeah. uh, on my uh, my birthday weekend in December. So. Yes, yes. So it'll be pushed a little bit, but I still think it'll be great. Yeah. So, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So. So, hey, question for you. Um, sure. The, uh, uh, have you ever watched shows like Buffy, Supernatural, X-Files? Are you, I are remember, you kind of in that fandom? I remember X-Files. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the, the episodic things. I think I really enjoyed, like, the, the predecessors to it of, like, Outer Limits and stuff mm-hmm. uh, before it. I did watch Buffy. I really didn't get into it nearly as much as I got into Angel um and and that ah. kind of a thing so similar veins yeah yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah i'm with yeah. you I'm yeah with okay you. okay okay yeah see i uh um buffy is one of my one of my true loves i've, mm-hmm. I've talked about it on the show before. oh yeah no um, no, no. My, my ex super was super into buffy and got me into it yeah um, n- no knock there yeah uh let's see here supernatural i i really enjoyed the first like five seasons or so okay um but i think for the season five finale um it was very clear that they tried to end the show there because mm-hmm. like Two of the main characters end up dead. One of them exi- is exiled and imprisoned in hell, and mm-hmm. like you know things like that. Uh, uh, and then season six happened, and you could definitely tell the writers were going like, "Oh crap! What now? We weren't planning on being around." Yeah, I I, I know a lot of people who absolutely love Dean and uh, Sam. Sam, thank you. Yeah, I was literally like, I know it's three Dean letters. and Sam and Castiel. Yeah, and uh, there's Bobby. A whole, there's a whole whole world there, and I just. I couldn't quite catch into the vibe of it. Yeah, yeah. But I understand it. I get it. I totally get it. Uh, and then uh, I didn't actually watch X-Files, believe it or not, um, until I got with Sean. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sh- uh, Sean really liked X-Files, and we kind of put it on that, like, we should binge this sometimes list. Yeah, I didn't. Wa- I mean, I'd watch an episode here or there, but it mm-hmm. was, like, not a thing. Like, at the- I think at that point in my life, I really wasn't, like, just sitting down and watching TV. Yep, yep. And that was my big problem, is there was people who were watching all of these different shows that were going on at that time, and I'm like, eh? Yeah. Like, I got other things going on right now? I really don't have time for this? But at the same time, like, when I would go to a friend's house, they'd be like, oh, we're watching X-Files, and I'd be like, oh, alright, I'll sit down and watch an episode. Yeah. And I-, I feel like a lot of these shows sit very, very nicely in our in our sort of pop culture, but I think they're more like our generation than, than like, the, the modern generation. I'm trying yeah. to think of, like, what the modern generation has 
for these style of shows um, that sit within the episodic clustering. Grim is is one that I've heard of, but I haven't seen. Okay, okay, I've seen Grim. I would. Oh, it's not the same. Okay, it doesn't sit in the same vein because it, it, it's similar, sure, hundred percent. But like, we migrated from Outer Limits, which was a, and and uh, uh, what was the other one? So we had uh, um, you had uh, the Twilight Zone, which mm-hmm. was really kind of a core progenitor to all of this, which was mysterious stories being told, which then led to to a a cast that was taking care of mysterious things. Sure. So progenitor to that. So now you have a cast that kind of follows it. Mm -hmm. And then you have shows that create a a line that go along with that cast that follow it, which kind of, uh, you know, your Twin Peaks, your X-Files, your... Your Buffy, where the thin line that ties episode to episode is almost gray. Like, mm-hmm. you almost don't notice it. And if you come into an episode, maybe it's cool. You know, maybe maybe it ties something together. But if you watch the whole thing, you get the flavor of the whole arc. Yeah, sure. But it isn't necessary. Now we're getting much more tied plot moment-to-moment kind mm-hmm. of things where it's it almost feels like the next episode is the next day. Yeah. You yeah. know, and that doesn't lend necessarily well to the previous design, mm-hmm. which is kind of what we're talking about tonight with our game. Yeah, this yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, we brought all that up because we're, tonight we're talking about uh, uh, Monster of the Week by Evil Hat Games. Uh, just two Evil Hat games in a row here. Uh, last we, last month we talked good about publisher, Dresden good Files. And uh, Dresden Files actually kind of fits into this. It's another major ex, uh, um, inspiration for Monster of the Week. Now, I'm going to say this about Evil Hat Games. Unlike a lot of publishers that mm-hmm. I've I've noted, almost every single one of the Evil Hat games that we've looked at, at least the last two, it's always been it's opened with, hey, this cool game creator knew some cool guys at Evil Hat Games. They got together and did this thing. Yeah, that's and true. It there it's like a friendly get together. It's not like we're publishing a book. Right, right. You know, right. it's like, hey, I've heard you publish books. I do publish books. Can we do this now? And that's kind of how it sounds. Versus like we're buying your property and publishing it. Right. This isn't you know? a business transaction. It's a bachelor party. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like hey, you got some stuff. It's like us three D printing at your house. Like right, hey, right, I heard right. you got a three D printer, and I kind of need this thing done. You know. I had a revelation the other day that uh, uh, clearly you don't own an uh, uh, own a three D printer is the new clearly you don't own an air fryer for nerds. No, it's one hundred. I I feel that's accurate. <laughs> I, I I don't think you're wrong on that in any way. Uh, um. But, but yeah. Yeah. No. No, evil evil hat game sounds good. So they got a lot of fun stuff going on there. So, but yeah, so um, Michael Sands is the uh, creator, and it had been out for a while. Actually, it had been out in 2012, and even prior to its release in 2012, there was a lot of playtesting on this. Like yeah. Michael wanted this to be really great, and he talks up his playtesters and the people who helped him make it and edit it and do all that so amazingly well. Like I. I, I really like looking into the history of this. I, I I have a lot of understanding that, you know, Michael is not above his own game design kind of a thing, you know, of like this, this isn't a one man show. This is like a community built this thing. And so, uh, so that happened in 2012. And then he came to evil hat and was like, Hey Brock, I heard you make published the games. <laughs> and so they republished it in 2015. Um, and revised it a little bit and cleaned it up and did some other stuff. It really didn't change the rules so much um, as it uh, as it changed the book a little bit and, and adjusted it. Um, and then 
They did the Tome of Mysteries, which was a rule set expansion and some additional pre-made content mm-hmm. that came out in 2019. Then there was the Codex of Worlds, which just came out, uh, which was another rule set expansion and some party mechanics. Okay, okay. Um, to kind of just keep growing it. Yeah, um, sure. We're going to focus on the first game, uh, the, the the core right, right. Um, of the revised edition. Um, but those other two are out there. So, like, if you get into this and you're like, eh, maybe this could be, like, a continuing thing for me and my friends, mm-hmm. 100%. I will agree with Robin Valentine's statement early on that said that this is a great introduction to the world of games driven by improv and collaboration at tables that basically if you're looking to get into powered by the apocalypse playbook um more narrative games where the dice is light where the dice are lighter and it's collaborative this is a great entry point i i really really after reading over it um i agree with that statement a lot because uh as we will describe in the following minutes here of the podcast, uh, I think the game is extraordinarily well-focused and well-designed. Mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, especially according to, like, the, 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 the small discussion we had prior to starting this. Right. It's very easy to be like, have you ever seen Supernatural? Yeah, it's like that. Yeah. And instantly you know, like, if, if you do, if you are familiar with those properties, if you are familiar with that sort of Monster of the Week style show, I mean, the game is called monster of the week you already kind of know what you're getting going into it you know yeah i i do dare say based on your comment from the intro that i i do kind of feel like this doesn't necessarily lend well in that trope to some of the younger generations right now who don't know the experience behind it supernatural didn't end too terribly long ago and it was pretty it like especially like if you were on tumblr at all well, like, uh, like y- you know, you saw the impact of all of that. Yeah, my my, I'll say my goddaughter, um, because that's the easiest way to say it. Um, she and her mom were uh, were into Supernatural, uh, watched it together a lot, handled all that stuff. Yeah, and I think uh, I think she is still a fan, mm-hmm. not like a rabid fan, but I think she is still a fan of it. And because of that. I think she could easily attach to this, be like, oh, that's, this is just that. Sure. And, I mean, she's in her 30s. Yes. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so, yeah, I, I think that would sit pretty well. Yeah. I think anything younger than that, eh, you might get a little bit. But at the same time, like, you could also just say, like, this is Kids on Bikes, the adult edition. Yeah, kind of, yeah. I mean, that's it, it does have a, sun, it, a certain feel like that. You just say you're a Scooby Squad, and, and people will kind of know, you know. Which, I mean, how many times has that been recreated, you Yeah, know? exactly. So, all right. So, beyond the reception, I will say this. Michael did an amazing job on his own website of giving you links to live plays that he is aware of. Oh, and, yeah. And considers. There are 18 videos of live plays and uh, 40 audio podcast style live plays that are out there some which have which are in second seasons and third seasons oh wow um which is kind of cool when you think about the design of this game yeah how how deep that goes so if you're interested it is popular Uh it is out there it just isn't talked about nearly as much yeah i I always hear it name dropped but like i don't think i've ever really you know seen people be like dude monster of the week like well i mean we hear savage world getting name dropped but nobody says like dude that's true. So that's true. Yeah. 
Yep. So, all right. So let's talk a little bit about that setting. You kind of you kind of scoped it initially as these flavors, this theme. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so it, kind of the, the the theme being that you know there have always been things that go bump in the night. They take cattle. They are the cause of terrible things. You know, you know of them. And you handle them so others can live their lives. You play the hunters. Um, and, you know, where others blunder to get by, you know what's going on and how to handle it. Yeah. So the the feeling, again, behind this is small group. Mm-hmm. And that group is made up of different individuals. You're not all, like, spear-wielding, armor-wearing, you know, running out in the night hunting monsters right some of you are intelligent some of you are seers some of you may have technical skills or other things that can assist the group as a whole Mm -hmm. but you've all been doing it for a while it's not like kids on bikes where you're discovering something and then figuring out how you're going to handle it no 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 no. that you're old hat at this like you've been around the block a few times this isn't your first monster yeah exactly it's like i set up my second rodeo yeah (laughs) exactly exactly um, yeah, and you're, and I think the, the playbooks in here, and I'll, I'll talk about them in a little bit, are all very, um, uh, very good and very well defined. Yes. Um, I don't, I don't think I looked at two different playbooks and went, oh, that's basically the same thing as, you know, the other playbook or something like that. They all felt like they have very unique niche, mm-hmm. uh, as well as, uh, they have short descriptions of them in the introduction to that mm-hmm. se- section, and they say, like, this character from Buffy, like, you know, Xander from Buffy is a, uh, is a mundane. Right. Buffy from Buffy is a chosen. Right. Michael Carpenter from Dresden is a divine. Right. You know, I know all of these things. Mm -hmm. Of, of all of the, um, the example characters, I think I didn't know two of them. Okay. And of the ones I didn't know, there was two characters named and I knew the other one. Right. Right. And and the other thing about the playbooks, and I'm gonna, I'll just drop this in as resources, um, Michael actually produces new playbooks and just releases them on his site. You can just download them. Yeah, I think actually, I think the last page of the playbook section says like, oh, and by the way, these aren't the only ones. You can go up on the website and there's a bunch more. Yeah, so you, you don't have to feel like you have to craft anything. And there's tons of other resources out there. I will 100% say that. If you look up Monster of the Week on the net, you will find other resources that groups have created. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which are great. Which are great. So. Uh, all right, so let's talk about a, little bit, a little bit about the game. Yes, yes, uh, yes. All right, so dice mechanics. Um, we said before this is a great introduction to Powered by the Apocalypse, um, and it is. Uh, it is very core Powered by the Apocalypse. If mm-hmm. you've played any other PB, uh, PBTA game before, um, you will know the mechanics. It doesn't do anything fancy. Nope. It doesn't iterate upon the rules. It is core Powered by the Apocalypse. Roll 2d6. Add your attribute. Uh, if that accrues you a 6 or lower, that is a failure or accrues some sort of direct consequence. Mm-hmm. But you get to mark experience mm-hmm. because we learn from our failures. Correct. Um, if it is a seven to nine, you got some sort of partial success or a success with consequence. Mm-hmm. And if it is a 10 or higher, that is a success. If you roll 12 or higher, that is a critical success, which only matters some of the time, but, yes. um, uh, but it is, it is there. And uh, then the characters themselves, because it's powered by the apocalypse uses playbooks and playbooks are basically a shorthand character sheet. You're just filling in some voids. Yeah, they remind me a lot more of Mad Libs than an actual character sheet. Yeah, it and and that right there 
is half of the thing. Like, I remember so many times going to conventions and grabbing character sheets off the table and getting right into games. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people like that, especially with games that they don't know. So that that makes that entry point just a half step shorter. Yeah, exactly. So Because all they have to do is fill in a few things, and often the sheet tells you on the sheet what you're doing, so there's no questions to be asked. This is this is one of those games, Um, I, I remember thinking this with Urban Shadows, and I thought it very much with the, with the uh, Monster of the Week as well, that mm-hmm. you could actually complete your character sheet more with a high later than a pen. Yes, very much so. Uh, because it will be like, choose one of the following. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, 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 or this. Mm-hmm. You can literally just like, with a, with a yellow highlighters, be like, that one. Yeah. You know, you're not really even writing as much as you are just selecting a thing off a list and either putting a check mark next to it or highlighting it. Yeah, there's there's something to be said by the fact that when, uh, when somebody created an app for a playbook, mm-hmm. basically it goes through a questionnaire and then your character fits on your screen. Yeah. Because you don't need the rest of the playbook, because all the answers are right are already closed out. Yes. So you're just you're done. Yeah, exactly. And it, that's lovely. That you kind can of fit stuff. your whole character on an index card, then. Exactly. You know. Yep. 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 Uh, so you've got a number of playbooks in there, um, but there is still each playbook is unique. It has got a unique design to it and feel. Um, yes. And, and this, I mean, I say this harkens back to our previous discussions that we had with uh, Urban Shadows and City of Mist, mm-hmm. um, that the playbooks are, and those tend to be very grand, but they can get very granular as the more playbooks come out. Mm-hmm. This has that much more uh, direct feel because, again, you're not playing with other races, you're yeah, playing you're with just, you're just humans who are good at what you do, right? You're basically playing with professions at mm-hmm. this point, and and I would say being professional at something. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I think profession lends a little bit too much because profession means that you're you're formally trained and earning money by doing this thing. Yeah, but I, I think uh, it's it's a specialization there more than go. a profession. I, that's a better um, way of putting it. Because and don't forget that like mundane is one of the playbooks. Mm-hmm. Xander Harris, if you if you've watched Buffy, yep. literally the character who doesn't do anything exceptional. No, they are they are the person who does not have magic. Does is not the chosen one. Yep, you know doesn't belong to an agency that provides them with fifty caliber sniper rifles. They're just a carpenter mm-hmm. and a crappy boyfriend. You know. And, uh, but, like, even their powers is, like, excels at getting captured by the monster, which, believe it or not, is an advantage, because it affords you, you know, the ability to, to see the monster from kind of the inside, you know? Right, right. Um, but, but there's, there is, you know, your chosen one, like mm-hmm. Buffy, there is your wizard, essentially, character, your magic user, like Willow or, or Harry Dresden, mm-hmm. um, there is your agency character, like Riley and the Inst- uh, Institute, was it called? I think so. I think it was called the Institute. Um, uh, you know, things like that. You've got all these different playbooks in there, and it then also kind of talks a little bit about team concepts, mm-hmm. Okay. And it uses, again, some of these source materials as their examples. Like, if you're looking for the Buffy Scooby Squad style thing, you've got a chosen character who is the heart of the group. Mm-hmm. And then all of the other characters are essentially their allies helping the chosen mm-hmm. do their job. Yeah. Do their um, job and be something other than a monster themselves. And it makes suggestions as to what other playbooks go well with those core concepts to mm-hmm. kind of form that feel. So, if mm-hmm. you want to play 
specifically Buffy the Vampire Slayer, have one person be the chosen and choose this, 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 and this playbook yeah. as as their friends. You can choose this or this, but you might have some difficulty with them, but they could work. You yeah. know, if you're looking for Supernatural, choose this playbook and this playbook plays well with this one, this one, this one, and probably can't include this or this because that would cause fights. Right. Boom. Great. Yeah. I think that right there, that idea of being able to create a comp and talk about how comps are made. Yeah. Not at the technical level. Mm -hmm. Because it's not about what they're good at. It's who they are. Yeah. How they sit within the team comp. I think that alone is, is a core way of helping pull the game together at high speed. Right, right. And it's important to, to, to say, too, that the team concepts are not are not there in the same way that you would talk about team comp in, say, like Dungeons & Dragons. Sure. Okay, we're not maximizing DPS out of these team comps. No. We're talking that they narratively work well together. Or need each other. Or, need, yeah, need each other. They fill in gaps for, for you know, because a certain playbook may have a certain, you know, deficiency. Yeah. Or they may have, like, they lend themselves to being chosen by, say, like, a god, so a divine character watching over that chosen character mm -hmm. might, like, Castiel, you know, mm -hmm. might be a cool narrative hook. Yeah. You know? Um, so... There's there's a lot of there's a lot of check boxes on this list too. Makes it easy. The uh the attributes even are mm -hmm. check boxes. Yeah. Uh you've got cool, tough, charm, sharp, and weird. Mm-hmm. They do exactly what they say on this on the tin. Yep. Um and you've also kind of got a dedicated I know you really like this, a dedicated group on your character sheet for group bonding. I love that. I love that. Where it's it, like you've I got your characters and you're like go around the table now and talk about how your character is like Pick one of the following. Is it is this character your brother? Have they betrayed you in the past, but now you trust them? But it's or... also playbook designed. Mm -hmm. So, like, if I'm a chosen, and it's it says, okay, which one of these characters is family? Mm -hmm. Which one of these characters has betrayed you? Which one of... But it's specific for that, whereas, like, if I'm a... Uh, if I'm the... Uh, um, corporate like if i'm the the, the group the organ institute the institute yeah, okay. i might be like which one of the characters do i owe a favor to mm -hmm. which one of these characters should be locked up you know yeah you know which yeah. one of these characters uh which one of these characters uh am i forced to trust I would I would absolutely die for a giles and spike relationship at, oh yeah, uh, at my table. Yeah, I always, I always loved how the the tension between them, you know, Giles looking Spike in the eye and going, Spike, when I want your opinion, well, I just don't want your opinion. opinion. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But that's the thing is, is that those types of because the playbooks are unique and the bonds are unique, it's perspective based from that character's perspective and it helps it pulls it even further into assisting you with narrative mm -hmm. and i again i i applaud that they're that well that they're well designed and they bring you to the game quicker it walks you through that opening part of the game of discussion yeah. which doesn't happen in other games yeah, I actually saw a Reddit thread, uh, uh, I think it was just, just today earlier, um, that was like, how do I get around the you meet in a tavern trope? 
play Powered by the Backlips once. I mean, this is <laughs> this is one of them, yeah. I yeah. Mean, the 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 key answer there was in medias res next, you know, <laughs> slash thread. Yeah. Like we're we're done. Yeah. But um, but I think something like this is 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 the absolute next best answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And only just. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Powered by the apocalypse. Powered by the apocalypse games inevitably have a thing about combat that is unique. And this game definitely has combat. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is about fighting monsters. And that kind yeah. of, especially in our D&D saturated world, yeah. it kind of kind of comes with some, some baggage attached to it, I think. It you does. Know? You set some expectations that you're going to be fighting monsters in a big slog to reduce their hit point total to zero. And... Well, the other thing which is which wasn't even discussed when we were talking about mechanics is the storyteller doesn't have dice. Storyteller never rolls in Powered by the Apocalypse. Nope. So if you're trying to hit a thing, you have to roll your dice to see if you if if, if you are you able succeed? to affect it. Yeah. If they are trying to hit you, you roll dice to see if you can avoid it. Yeah. Yeah. Or protect someone. Mm-hmm. Because that's the thing about monsters is they're not necessarily after you. Yeah. They're after the collateral things around you, and bad things happen to collateral. The 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 story the, the whole the whole combat section kind of starts by describing that uh, the kick some ass move is not the only move that you're that, that you want to concentrate on in combat. Mm-hmm. You know, like like you said, help another hunter, yeah, and protect someone are just as important, if not more important, sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really like the big key takeaway for me. You know. Instantly, it draws your eye away from kick some ass. Right, right. And says that the tools are there to vanquish monsters through things like investigation, mm-hmm. through preparation, mm-hmm. luring it and trapping it, mm-hmm. otherwise defeating monsters through means that, like, other than reduce its HP to zero. Yep. You know? Yep. How many, think back to, like, Buffy and Supernatural. I keep going back to those because those are the ones I know the best. It's easy. You know? Where the solution to the monster was not kill it. It was do an elaborate ritual and banish it. Uh, Summon it using the thing that it cannot resist. And trap it forever. And maybe we bury it. You know, we, we, we plant a bunch of C4 and we detonate it and we bury it under the rubble of a building... And, you know, yeah. leave a bunch of, like, radioactive markers around it because people won't understand that there's a monster buried here, but they will understand radioactive. Don't go near it. Right. You know? Yeah. And we hope that nobody touches this thing for a good long time because that monster is not killable. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know? Sometimes, I mean, how many how many times has it been that, that you have to make a deal with it? Mm-hmm. You know, like a devil or something like that. Yeah, just so it'll go away. Well, I'll, you can save this innocent girl here, but uh, you'll have to trade your soul for hers. What are you willing to pay? You know. Yeah, or or the you find a different demon to take care of this one. Uh huh. Yeah. What's the bigger problem that yeah. you that you that you can manage because you understand that problem? Right. You we know. can defeat Samael because we summoned Mephistopheles, who is his arch nemesis in the plains of hell. And all he wanted was one chance at Samael. Right. And you're but like, what did we have to pay Mephistopheles? Yeah. You know? Right. Okay. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I I always come back to uh, some of the other stories that kind of fringe edge this one. Yeah. Um. You know, Constantine 
is a is another one where you it's a little more soloist, but the same type of feel where you're robbing Peter to pay Paul to solve the problem. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Sometimes you know? legitimately robbing Peter to pay Paul. <laughs> <laughs> exactly those people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, when, it, when it comes down to it at the end of the day, though, you know, uh, and, I, and I'm not saying this doesn't happen. I'm sure you do get your straight up fights, but yeah. I fist fight the rampaging werewolf is rarely your best option. Right, right. And uh, along the same line, you also have luck. Yes. Which is always a thing that sits around some players have a lot of it and some don't so luck luck i think all right luck is a mechanic they added in and you've got what seven or eight points of luck i want to say i want to say seven i think it's because i think it's lucky number seven yeah um of luck and all characters come with this Mm -hmm. um and luck kind of plays in with your fate uh uh so one of the attributes that you put on your sheet um are are fates Mm mm-hmm and these are kind of like little bits of destiny, little things that hound your character. They're kind of like hindrances, but they're more like what darkness surrounds your character mm-hmm. than anything that you personally have to get over. Right. Right. Um, and so, uh, and they're, they're also always intrinsically tied into the nature of your playbook. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... Your luck, I think, acts a lot more, um, to me, it, it, it felt a bit like, uh, we was, was talking about humanity and vampire. Yeah, by spending your luck, you gain, you get closer to your problem. Yes, exactly. And, and your, your luck, quite literally, as a hunter, will run out someday. See, I always feel like, like, uh, like we've been playing Baldur's Gate 3. And I look at, uh, at, at the demon pact, uh-huh. warlock demon pact. As that. Yeah. As you spend those resources, you get much closer to full ownership mm-hmm. and loss of yourself. And I feel like that's missing out as a narrative component in D&D. Yeah. Like, you're just getting more powerful. What, what's the cost? You know? So the cost needs to be there. We we should we should actually talk about what luck does, because we were dancing around the subject quite we a bit. We are. Right. What is All available right. so, to do? Yeah. So, luck, aside from being a just kind of a measure of, of your character's luckiness, mm-hmm. uh, and, and how far away these these uh, um, this, this darkness that comes with your character is in the narrative, um, luck is an expendable resource. Okay. Uh, and you can either use it to uh, automatically make any roll a 12. Mm-hmm. Or make incoming harm zero, no matter how much it was. Yeah. Gigantic hulking monster breaks off a tree and hits you with it, doing eight harm to you. It is now zero. Tell me how that happened. Yeah. You got lucky. Yeah. Like Frodo in his mithril shirt. Yes. You know, getting stabbed by something that clearly not only should have pierced it, but also probably should have crushed his chest even if it didn't yeah yeah but be- the... he was lucky yes you know um or or the thing where you get you know knocked off of something into the water versus into a hard substance the person who shoots you right in the chest hits the deck of cards you always keep in your or breast the pocket. bible or, or the whatever bible in yeah. your breast pocket yeah or your, your your lucky cigarette case or your flask of whiskey right. yeah yep um exactly so uh the important thing to note about luck though mm-hmm. is that it is not a renewable resource. No. Okay. Much like other meta currencies in, say, like Seven C, where you have drama dice or, or Savage Worlds, where you have um, uh, bennies, you've got fate tokens and fate games. Yeah. Luck is a s- expendable resource that just doesn't come back. And 
like I said, it, it, it quite literally creates a the, the metaphor that someday your hunter's luck will run out, mm-hmm. and at that point, you're you're as good as dead. Yeah, because there's nothing stopping the next bullet from taking you out. Yep, yep. Like imagine if a warlock in D and D had twenty luck points or or twenty points to spend, where they could use those twenty points one at a time to do some amazing magic like maximize a spell to its maximum level or intrinsically you know push something up five levels Mm -hmm. but once they've spent it it's gone and each one of those changes the way they look yep it binds them tighter to their pack yep yep uh and says if your playbook includes fate related stuff such as chosen's fate or the spooky's dark side Running out of luck means all that bad stuff is going to start happening. Yep. Your luck is literally what is keeping those things at bay. And so running out of luck is kind of the death knell for your character. Mm-hmm. It starts that ticking clock of, like, the the end is near. Mm-hmm. And you it literally says doomed at the yeah. end of your luck track. Yeah. You know, because that's, that's what you are at that point. You're just meat for the, you know... You're just grist for the mill at that point, yep. you know? Yep. So. Uh, magic does exist. Magic's cool in this game. It is different. It is definitely different. Uh, so there's, there's like a list of effects um, and glitches and basic requirements mm-hmm. um, in the use magic move. Okay. okay. Certain certain characters, like, I mean, there are magic using, mm-hmm. uh, I think that one of them's called, like, the spellcaster or something like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, like, using magic is a thing. It's acknowledged in this setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to play a character like Harry Dresden, or you want to play a character like Willow or Terra from mm-hmm. Buffy, um, even Supernatural gets into some some esoteric sort of magics and whatnot. Um, there is a... I, I think the magic system here walks that cool, fine line between open and narrative, mm-hmm. and you can kind of do whatever you can talk the storyteller into... And on the other side of that being very rigid and codified like something like D&D. Okay. Okay. So what you have is when you use the use magic move, Mm -hmm. there is a list of effects that are acceptable. Okay. For you can do a certain amount of harm with it. You can heal a certain amount of harm, travel some distance, seal off an area from, you know, being able to be entered, you know, little things like that, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a list of glitches. Mm-hmm. And those glitches are essentially what the consequences of getting like a seven to nine or a six sure. uh, are. And then there's a list of uh, requirements that the storyteller may impose on you for doing that magic. Mm-hmm. So like, okay, you can seal off the area, but I'm going to say it's going to have to take you a minute to do that. Okay, cool. So a minute of narrative time. Maybe other stuff is happening, so that minute... Starts feeling really long, you know, mm-hmm. as the zombies are scratching at the doors of the bar that you're in, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you're trying to cast your spell to ward the area. Right. Um, but uh, it's kind of a little negotiation, just like anything else. Mm-hmm. I want to achieve this list of effect because it says that that's an acceptable effect for doing magic. Right. You said that it will cost me this to do it. Cool. Mm-hmm. We roll some dice. Yeah. It just helps guide that bit of collaboration. Yeah, and set some set some rails. Set some rails, and then the after that you've got the big magic mm-hmm. section, uh, and the big magic is 
it was interesting to me because I, 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 a lot of people want codified rules for things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially like if you come from something like Dresden Files, there mm-hmm. are some rules in universe for how this, we would call this thaumaturgy for playing Dresden sure, Files, sure. how thaumaturgy should work. Um, about, you know, how, how long of distances, what correspondences you need. You need to do something small to make something big happen, mm-hmm. just like the same thing. You're like a voodoo doll. You cause right. a small pain on a small doll to mangle the body of a, of a person that's supposed to represent, you know? Right. There, there aren't really rules for big magic mm-hmm. in those codified senses. It's a slightly it's it's a larger and more effectual way of doing the small magic stuff mm-hmm. but what i think i really liked about it though is that it's whereas it is kind of a do anything system you mm-hmm. literally can basically do anything with big magic sure um but it, i think it poses it a lot more as like this is a scene now yeah just like anything else um it may involve a whole game session worth of interaction to prepare to execute mm-hmm. the spell deal with the consequences quite possibly oh yeah like you can resurrect people sure like fallen hunters that's absolutely fine they might come back broken or wrong you know <laughs> Some, yeah i mean i i i go to you know full metal alchemist for those who are aware of the anime like mm-hmm. things happen exactly uh and i think it's i think it's a really good magic system Within the scope of a Powered by the Apocalypse mm-hmm. uh, setting. Without a doubt. All right. That is characters and gameplay in that's, a nut. That's the I gameplay. love it. And I, I love that everything in the book up to this point has basically explained to the players what they need to know, mm-hmm. how they need to know it. And what does that mean in very plain terms? What is their place in the world? What is their goal in the setting? Yep. Yeah. And one of the things that was always taught to me by my mom, who is uh, who who was a, a nurse first and an educator second, mm-hmm. when she got into doing education for nursing and practice like that, one of the first things that she taught me, and it, it's always looped in my head, is uh, name it, define it, list its uses, give clear examples. Great. That Perfect. is the that right there is the best teaching method possible for being able to present something to somebody. And this book does it again after two hundred and thirty six episodes. I should hope you know that. Formula. Oh, dude, yes. dude, we've we've always followed the formula. I love yeah. it in our show, but yeah. seeing it play out in a book in very direct ways is always makes me happy. Yeah, to see that education getting pressed into a page yes. and to do it in a nice format with good font and good. A, a paragraph structure like mm-hmm. everything ties together well in this book yes. and I, I think for that alone if you're looking at powered by the apocalypse up to this point this is something you could sell players on yeah like i i think it kind of very very much in contrast to dresden files which we did last month where yeah. we found we found like it was a slog to get through because yeah. it didn't speak plainly and clearly this was like a delight to read it exactly. was so crisp so Now I talk about the DM section, the Keepers section, which I find funny because the idea, the term Keeper that they use in this book comes actually from Cthulhu, Call of Cthulhu, Mm -hmm. which was the the idea of the Keeper of the Ancient Lore, whereas they're doing it as Keeper of the Monsters and Mysteries. And I love that. I love that it's a shared term, like we use our storyteller as a shared term. Um, So I, I appreciate the Keeper. Um... But even from the very first page, 
it is exceptionally clear what your job is as a keeper. And it gives you in literally one page what you need to do. Two paragraphs open it and tell you your two jobs. That's it. Two short paragraphs. And then the section directly underneath that is basically like, and here's what it entails. That's it. Like, if you read that first page as a storyteller who's told any other game, you'd be like, I know what my job is in this game. I'm good. I can move on. But then it goes on to walk through not only just good, basic guidance, like, don't plan ahead. It's about the hunters, not about the mystery. To great advice that it then explains, like, think about the style you want. Get into the keeper's mindset. Create a mystery for the hunters to investigate. Set an agenda for with some elements of, like, making the world feel real and play to see what happens and make the hunters' lives dangerous and scary, right? And then a whole listing of principles like we saw in uh, in other Powered by the Apocalypse books. Yep. But this one is, like, put horror in everyday situation or nothing is safe, kill bystanders and minions, burn buildings to the ground, let the monsters be slain. I Okay, I want to talk about that one. That one right there? That one right there because that one, like, to me, this is something even after all my years of experience, of 30 years of storytelling experience, okay, yeah. that I still have problems with. Letting the monster be slain? Well, no, no, I mean, not just that. But, like, kill bystanders and, mil- and minions. Burn down buildings. Yeah. Like, I I have a tough time just creating wanton destruction. It's it's hard. Because, like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know what my mental block is with well, that. Well, I, I will say this. It is also the theme and feel of this game. And that is important. If your game is not about wanton destruction, right, it doesn't have that. But this game is about monsters with a capital M. Right, right. Monsters who, their agendas are very much not, I am here to take over the planet. No, no, no. They are, it is a dark spirit Mm -hmm. who has been trapped on this plane because some three little kids did a ritual in the woods and bonded, you know, their this area, mm. you know, thinking it was cool and witchy to do when really it was a graveyard and they bonded that soul to its grave. Yeah. But now yeah. he's come to hunt the girls, but by hunting the girls to their death, they're now bonded to him until they can they can be released. Mm-hmm. The only way they can be released is if they're found. You know, this is the story. And through that, there's a lot of destruction. There's a lot of darkness that comes with that. Yeah. And... That is what this game is trying to impress, is that everything is a threat to the hunters. Right, right. Everything is dangerous. Whether that threat is the threat of losing yourself, something you value, maybe your your respect in the in the community, maybe, like in the case of Buffy, your status at school. You know, something that even masks t- tends to, to dig into a little bit deeper, but... Threat can also mean your life or the group, somebody in your group's life. I think I figured out what it is. Okay. Giving it a little bit of thought. It's the status quo. It's protecting my own status quo. Hmm. As a storyteller, I worked very hard to establish what the status quo of my world is so that you guys have a firm ground to stand on within my world building. Sure. And then throwing a rampaging Godzilla in the middle of it. Doesn't fit. (laughs) Well, no, it's not that it doesn't fit. 
It's that it changes the status quo. 100%. So much. And now my world is not the neat little world I've laid out for you, but it is the neat little world that is now on fire screaming and bleeding. There's a time and a place for it. Right, exactly. Uh, And then let the monster be slain being the last one of those is like, kill your darlings. Like, don't get attached to your monster in that like, oh, it's not going to be a challenge for them if they can just do a magic ritual and defeat it. No, let, that's the whole point. Let's let the monster be slain. That's what it's monster of the week. That's what we're doing. This is why we're here. We are monster hunters. Right. We're literally referred to as hunters throughout the book. Yeah. Let us hunt the damn monster. And because of those principles, it then steps into teaching you how to make your mystery. That mystery takes that t- in this section when they give the example of it, takes one page, mm-hmm. couple paragraphs. Very well defined. And most game systems, I think, would leave it at that. They would explain, like, your basic concept, your mystery, the hook for the hunter's attention, the monster, the minions and bystanders, locations involved, and the mystery countdown, which, not unlike Brindlewood Bay, focuses on a six-phase clock. Yeah. Going from day to midnight with, like, dusks, you know, being a feeling, not a specific time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, as you approach midnight, bad things happen. Um, but the point of the clock is it is what the monster is doing, mm-hmm. regardless of if the player hunters were ever there. So the thought of it is, is where are we? What is going on at this point in time? Yeah. And telegraphing that so that the players know where things are at. But the book does such a freaking fun job of it is they they show that example and then break down how they built that example. Exactly. They give you this creating your first mystery section where they talk about the Mongolian death worm attack. Yes, yes, yes. And and it's oh, it was so good because so many of these other power. But like I've always had a tough time wrapping my brain around power by apocalypse. Sure, sure. And I, I think I've, I think I've said that before yep, several yep. times on the show because it's it is it is more vague than I'm used to. Sure. I'm used to some numerical values and powered by the right. apocalypse so it was always out the window. Um, but this whole creating your first mystery section, perfect to me. Okay. Mm-hmm. It goes, here's a mystery, the Mongolian deathworm attack, and it writes it all out for you. Yep. And it's like a page long. Yeah, it's just a page. The whole thing is just a page, but it then literally tells you everything you needed to know. What the monster is, mm-hmm. what it does, mm-hmm. its strengths, mm-hmm. its motivations, its weaknesses. And its phases. And well, it'll get. I'll get yeah. there. Some people who are involved where it happens, mm-hmm. um, and their general disposition towards the hunters. Yes. I.e., this person is is this person in the story. Mm-hmm. They want to discover what's going on, but keep it hidden because they're afraid of the reputation it'll gain. Sure. They will be generally grumpy and obstructionist towards the hunters. Yep. Because they don't like the meddling. Yep. That is the whole description of the NPC. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then it says the how, what the problem will, will will what will happen with the monster if left unchecked. Right. And it goes through their entire. It breaks their entire example, living example, down, mm-hmm. and says this is how we wrote this. This is how you can do this. This is the formula you should follow. Just do this, and that's all you need. Yeah. And your hunters will tell you the rest of the story. Yeah. You already this is the motivation of the monster in order. Yeah. Because they're simple. The monsters are simple. Yeah, they're you not, already know what the monsters are gonna do. Yeah. 
And one of my favorite parts about this is if you read this section and you digest it as a storyteller, as a keeper, mm-hmm. you can look at any team-based movie and break down all of this. Yeah. Very simply. And yeah. you can tell a good monster flick from a bad monster flick. Mm-hmm. Because you, if their path is known and you can paint their order and then remove the characters and still see the order, mm-hmm. there you go. And we're not talking too complicated here. Remember, no. this is Monster of the Week, not Monster of the Campaign, not Monster of the Mm-mm. Year. This is Monster of the Week. Like, these are designed to be short stories. Your hunters roll into town, or maybe the monster rolls into town where your hunters are, in the yep. case of Sunnydale for Buffy, yep. and causes some havoc. Your 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 team figures out what it is, what needs to happen for it to be stopped. They overcome whatever obstacles are between it and so and that solution. They enact the solution. The monster's defeated next week. Now, I'm going to blow all your minds and take this for one step further, and that is this section can 100% be whole cloth lifted, moved, and dropped into any other freaking game. Yeah, I feel like this whole section should be, like, printed out and sold in, like, poster forms for every storyteller to hang on their wall. Because if you remove the word monster and you put in conflict... Yeah, conflict of the week. That's every adventure you're running. Yeah. Okay, done. What what does it do? What is it trying to do? What will it do if left unchecked? Who are the people involved? How are they going to act when uh, when pushed against? Yep. That's it. That's okay. that's the whole... That's yeah. your barest plot scaffold right there. 100%. Everything else is up to your players to move around. That's their agency. Yes. You know now how the world's supposed to move and what effects are going to happen. Mm-hmm. And why it's going to continue that way. Okay. Done. Yeah. Thank you so much, Monster of the Week, for $20 teaching us how to run games. I have never seen a game set me up for success better than than Monster of the Week does. We've had some really, really good successful DM sections that that sit very close to this, where I've even said, this needs to be printed and put in a poster. Well, look, look, look. There there have been been several DM sections with good good advice in them. Mm Mm-hmm. And stuff that I have said before needs to be yep. printed out and stapled to the foreheads of every single storyteller out there. Yes. But this. I am saying this takes the cake for how well it sets me up for success to run its game. 100%. And the way that it def- re- it explains how it got to its version. Yes. I love that. Here's an example. Now let's show you the math behind what we did here. And now you can just copy and paste and replicate this whole thing over and over and over again because literally that's the formula yep. because you're playing Monster of the Week. Yep. Yeah, if I if I was going to say put a sh- put a book on your shelf for 20 bucks, it's this one. Yep. It is beautiful. It has got, you know, let's step right into what it does well. Because we're well, already yep. saying that. Yep. And, I, and I will say without a doubt this is a $20 book to throw on your shelf. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Don't question it. Even if you never run Monster of the Week, you will run Monster of the Week. <laughs> you just won't realize you're doing it. You won't it. call it Monster of the Week, but you will run Monster of the Week. Right. Because it is designed to help you tell a narrative collaborative story. Yeah. Yeah. That That's the beauty of this. D&D, we do this all the time, but yeah. our, our combat turns out different. You know? Yeah. It's just... 
It's understanding the basics and being taught those basics. And then the thing about this is that it has brought it to a very narrow vision. Mm -hmm. The players know who they are. No different than like Shadowrun does. Like Shadowrun basically says, you are runners. You work for a Johnson. You're doing this because you need something. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's the, the narrowing of the scope. This isn't a sandbox. You're not some random fighter and some random mage who all have feelings and aspirations that are now randomly thrown together into a thing. And now you got to try to no. decide how you're going to get along not long enough to focus on the plot. Yeah. No. We are narrowing this down. You are a group. You are a team. Of you are a hunters. You hunt monsters. You are aware of what's going on behind the scenes. Oh, look. A monster. Go hunt it. This is not your first rodeo. Yes. This is at least your second or third rodeo. You know about each other very well. Yeah. You have feelings about each other already very well. Yeah. Now, let's get into the story. Mm-hmm. And that's, that is fantastic. That is helpful and fantastic. Yeah. And the fact that it's so intrinsically tied to the pop culture, um, uh, uh, things that, that, that spawned it, like Buffy, Supernatural, X-Files. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dresden Files. It's it's it is great because it gives you such firm ground on which to stand on. Uh, yeah. When when coming into this, you say like, "Hey, you want to play Monster of the Week?" I don't know. What's what's that about? You ever play? You ever seen Buffy? Yeah, it's that. It's that. Oh, cool. Are we gonna oh. have to sing? <laughs> no, no <laughs> this isn't the musical. Well, yeah. the musical episode will be a little further in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where do we go from here? Yeah. yeah okay. Um. I say the illustrations are also great. Yeah, um, yeah. There is a picture in here that is it doesn't label these char- sure, characters. Sure, sure, sure. But there is a clean-shaven man with a chainsaw for an arm. Mhm. Shaking hands with a young athletic uh young woman holding a stake, a wooden mm-hmm. stake. Shaking hands with her over the decapitated corpse of a zombie. Yep. Which is Ash from Army of Darkness shaking hands with Buffy. Yep. Without a doubt. And I think if you put that picture on the cover of the game, you would never have to even see the title of the game. You would know what it's about and how it's played. Yeah. Yeah. It is It is easy to attach to. It is easier for players to attach to, especially if they're familiar with the genres. Mm-hmm. But even if they're not, it's a great book of mechanics. There's one last thing in here that I we haven't mentioned um, that I, we, we put on this list is there is a section at the beginning of the book. Yes. That says, uh, if you've never played a Powered by the Apocalypse game before or yeah. any role-playing game, you should read this, 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 and this. If you are planning – if you are familiar with the game but you're planning to run it and not play yes. it, read this, 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 and this. If you played Powered by the Apocalypse before, you're familiar with all of the game mechanics, and you don't need. You can pretty much skip over that part. Read only this, this, this and this. this. Yeah, and you'll get the particulars of what this game system is trying to do. Yeah, it, just amazing mm-hmm. that they break that down for you and just help you give you a yeah. guide to cut off the gristle yeah. and get straight to the meat. Yeah, I, I wish Dresden could have done this. If yeah. they could have done a stripped down Dresden. Yeah. And then left the information for what Dresden is separate. Mm-hmm. Cause it it's this. Really. In a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, yeah. But more mechanics behind it. Sure. Uh, kind of in a but I understand why Dresden is Dresden, where it came mm-hmm. from, why they did what they did. Um 
But you could run Dresden in this just as easily. You could. You just could. Dres- Dresden's a magic user. Yeah. Uh, you've got uh, Susan Rodriguez, uh, depending on when you play her, is either the uh, the Snoop or the monster. Okay. Um, Thomas is a monster. Sure. Uh, because he's a white court vampire. Um, that's not a spoiler. You find that out first thing. Uh, but there'd be playbooks. Michael Carpenter is a divine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I can tell you exactly what playbooks these these characters mm-hmm. are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it makes it very easy to attach yourself directly into the world. Yeah. And 100%. I love that. I love that. One hundred percent. So, what do you think it doesn't do well? Um, I gotta say, I had I really had to stretch and scrape just to have something here. Mm-hmm. About it not doing well. Um, I think my biggest criticism of it, and, and mind, mind you, this mm-hmm. is the big, biggest criticism is a two out of ten on the scale. If um, that, and, and yeah. a very, very particular gripe, um, feels like there's a very specific way that it wants to be played. Okay. I.e., if you come to this game from D and D, okay, and this I, I it's, I'm kind of seeing the pitfall with it. Sure. Okay. Sure. And that is, if you come to it from a game like D and D, where fighting monsters mm-hmm. involves rolling initiative, standing up in front of them, and then hoping for high numbers on your dice to make their HP go to zero before yours does. Mm-hmm. And you try to play that way in Monster of the Week, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. Monsters are fragile. Or, sorry, hunters are fragile. Monsters are deadly. And... Like I said before, I fist fight the rampaging werewolf is literally is 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 rarely the play you want to make. Right, exactly. Um, however, arguably, this is more of a D and D and false expectations problem than a Monster of the Week problem. Yeah, Monster of the Week is doing great; it's living its best life. I, but I think there's 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 prone to be some culture shock unless you understand what you're getting into. I agree with that statement. I think the the tryst to that is that if you've been playing D&D and most of your dis- most of your game becomes narrative and you're trying to figure out how to remove D&D from the game, here you go. That's is an easy move for you to guys to guys to make. Yep. Yep. Like and it and especially because it is so well designed that you could shift to this, have your players understand power by the apocalypse and then just immediately go to Dungeon World if you want to get back into fantasy. I dare say dungeon world should go between this and the other because dungeon world plays a lot more like D and D than this does. Well, it all depends on are your players playing to the dice or your players playing to the narrative, which, right. which what feeling it, do you want? What I'm saying though is dungeon dungeon world is a lot more D and D and D. It's a lot, it's a lot more crunchy than yeah. this. So, you know, if you're, if you're looking for half measure, go to Dungeon World. If you're yeah. looking to straight up just move to a narrative game but yeah. still want to be facing monsters, Monster of the Week is great. Yeah. On the other hand, if you've been playing Merkborg with your friends and you want to have a little bit more narrative and a little less death in your game, this <laughs> might be a nice light lift. You yeah, know? that's true. <laughs> it's funny saying Monster of the Week is going to be the lighter shift to, uh, to a game. I mean, if, game, when but... you're in Merkborg, you're, you're pretty much going to die. Literally, so. literally anything, yeah. A, so... a, a game that includes, includes the, the, the character creation step, name your character. It won't help. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think the only thing for me... It won't save them. <laughs> that And again, it's it's so low on the list of, of like what it doesn't do well. Yeah. Is that, like, I feel like this needs to be like Kids on Bikes. Because it is so... It has a core. Mm-hmm. So why not branch out from this core that works so well. Yeah. 
Like it feels like it, like it's, it's bursting at the seams to become something else now that I see it. But at the same time, like, I don't want to ruin it. I think, I think, I mean, we didn't dip, dip into any of the expansion material. No, and I agree. Know? I agree. I so think it digs farther qu- into that direction, which is good. It's quite possible that the, the, the expansion material uh, does exactly what you're asking But, for. like, Savage Worlds has kind of got a sandboxy feel to it, but then you do Adventure Edition with the, you know, Explorer's Edition, which we have, which is uh, fantasy. It's the fantasy companion, and it's fantasy. Mm-hmm. And now it's Savage World fantasy when really there's not much of a difference to it. The core is there. It's just yeah, this it's layer still that's still fantasy. Of... Right. We're just so using I... the word spell instead of power. Exactly. And I feel like you could easily do that with the system and really shine. Like, sure. it, it polish things to have a very clean, powered by the apocalypse system that people can transition into because it's so well written. Yeah. It's agreed. so well designed. Agreed. Um, but that's it. That's literally the, I, I really can't say anything bad about it. Yeah. Like yeah. it's probably the best $20 I've spent in a long time. It is, it is a well-honed scalpel of a game that knows exactly what yeah. it wants to be. Doesn't try to pretend to be anything else no. and does the job that it was designed to do extraordinarily well. Oh, another good thing that it does, sadly, uh, sadly. is, and, and it, maybe Re- it's a negative, regrettably, regrettably it does well is you need playbooks. You got to print playbooks. We're back to printing things. Yeah. But if you got online, you can get the ones online. Yeah. You can you can work out paper pages if you want to to do it that way. But the whole point of it is is that it, there's because you don't need the book to make custom character sheets, you need mm-hmm. the playbooks to do that. There's some there's some limitations on that edge. And and I think that can cause a little bit of a resourcing, but again, we're talking like a one out of ten. I, I don't in think, my I don't space. think it places any more burden upon anybody for character sheets and, and, and printed resource materials than any other Oh game. no no. Yeah. Those are definitely like D and D sits at about a five on the yeah, scale. Like yeah. you can you can use paper, but it's a struggle, right? You're you're you know maybe you should get your phone out and and grab an app mm-hmm. because you're going to need to track crap. But like this is like a one, but it's it is there. But again, like it's a one. Yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, because uh, somebody's going to want to see all of the playbook options. That's true, and that's. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah. And they're very um, wordy because it's a narrative fiction forward game. So, correct. Yeah. Correct. So, yeah. So you kind of, you got to understand the tropes and have all the playbooks to be able to present. So we did get a couple questions though. A couple questions. Yeah. Very, uh, very happy for that. So the, uh, the Mad Elf asks, uh, so hopefully you'll be able to talk about when the monster is absolutely mundane, but still terrifying. If not more so because it's not supernatural or super powerful. It's an ordinary thing anyone could encounter. So it makes me think of uh I want to say there 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 definitely were supernatural episodes like this where uh it uh oh no uh the one that made me think of was X-Files. Yeah. Yeah, the I feel full like this... moon episode of X-Files. Mm-hmm. We're just like it can't possibly be Ebola. We'd all be dead. Well, this person clearly died from the effects of Ebola. That's impossible. Well, I mean, he was talking about how scared of it he was. What? Like, oh, we also have a mauling. We think that it was a large dog. Like a werewolf? Like, mm-hmm. everything was ridiculous, but the whole point of it was is that it was fear of yeah. the moon that was, like, it was an energy that was going around. Yep, yeah. And they just yep. had to manage it. You know, it's it's things like that. Like, I get those, but I, I sincerely feel, Mad Elf, that this game is meant to feel that it's a monster. Yeah, I mean, it is called Monster of the Week. Um, it would be a little weird if you didn't have a monster in a game that literally has monster in its title. 
And your monster hunters. And your monster hunters. The I, I, I feel like you wouldn't have the tools to engage with things that aren't monsters as monster hunters in a game called Monster of the Week. Right. Um, but I think there is probably still room to have, like... Uh, like, I know you mentioned the Buffy musical episode earlier, yeah. and I'm going to bring it up in all due seriousness. Sure. Okay. So, spoilers for a, like, 30-year-old episode here, or however long it's been since Not Buffy. spoiling it for Matt, or Matt Elf. I, I know him personally. He loves that episode. I love this episode. <laughs> um, I, I, I love it because it was, not only was the music great, but it actually uh, forwarded the story in a very interesting and significant way. Very much so. Um, so the monster in this is a demon named Sweets, uh, mm-hmm. and Sweets, uh... <laughs> His his the the supernatural effect is that he makes people sing what is truly in their souls. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, if that passion is great enough, they can't stop singing and dancing, mm-hmm. and they actually burst into flames and self-immolate. Like mm. they spontaneously combust because all that energy comes out if they feel too strongly about the thing that they begin singing about. Right, and it comes out in little ways. You know, people singing about the parking ticket they just got because obviously they're feeling some kind of way about it, you know. Right. But that's not enough. That's gonna be, not going to be enough to kill anybody. But, you know, me revealing my true love, you know, the secret crush that I've harbored for 12 years on this person that I right. work with every day, you know, right. or something like that, that might be enough, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, but the significance essentially was that they got all of their secrets out into the open, all the things that they've been concealing um say you're happy now once more with feeling yeah um and the way to defeat him essentially was uh they just kind of sh- had a song and dance number with him mhm and they were like you can't defeat me and he was like yeah you're probably right cuz you're you're prepared for me now and I'm not going to win the stand up fight I'm a, I'm a singer and dancer like, right so all right I'm going to go you guys see all in hell. Yeah. And he just left. Yeah. That that was it. They won a, a, a sing and dance off with him. Yep. But I, I could see a use case for something like that, mm-hmm. where the solution is not combat or an elaborate ritual or something like that. It's just coping with a threat on its own terms mm-hmm. and it kind of resolving itself. Yeah. But I think you still kind of need the monstrous component. Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the things that kind of triggers in my head is a, let's say, a lighter, needful things. Where you have yeah. you have what feels mundane, someone giving gifts. But those gifts all come with a with a price. Mm-hmm. Like, that's pretty mundane. Like, there's that's not a monster. That's not something with hit points that's tearing up the town. These people are doing it to themselves. Right, they're they're coming in of their own volition. He's merely helping them make their choices, and then giving them results. How do you defeat that? Yeah. How do you get rid of that out of a town? Like someone there knows that it's there, and they're asking for help, mm-hmm. but they don't know how to get rid of it. I I I will give you precisely the thing that you deserve. The bad news is, I will give you precisely the thing that you deserve. Right. Right. And but that's the type of thing when you Mm -hmm. get to those points where there are plenty of stories out there that you can rub the serial numbers off of for that. Sure. Like tons of them. So I would say in your inquiry, Matt Elf, take a look at some history. There's definitely hundreds of stories out there 
of of relatively i would say mundane moments of of greed and uh of 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 fear that propagate into a story that the thing isn't causing the problem right right and that's i think where that where you would sit in a, a game like this and, and to be perfectly clear Matt elf uh i am 100% with you on this mm-hmm. one like i absolutely adore the terror of the mundane mm-hmm. because it is something you can identify with i don't fear demons because i'm not going to encounter them day to day i fear radiation Mm-hmm. Because you can't see it, you usually can't feel it until it's too late. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. that's I I fear jellyfish mm-hmm. because they're invisible. Yeah, in water. Yeah, and they sting the crap out of you, and it's excruciating. Yeah. Like, yeah, these are these are things that keep me up at night. You know, yeah. not 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 demons, not werewolves. I don't right. fear them. Yeah, you know. All right. Overwatch asks, Monster of the Week started as an episodic, uh, started with episodic television. I agree. Uh, I believe the outer limits in the 60s and is still running strong on serialized shows today. 100%. I agree with that. Do you see ways you could transcend that experience on the tabletop while still sticking to the feel and flavor of the time-honored formula? So I think by transcending, he's talking about moving beyond the episodic and into something a little bit more uh, continuous. Yeah, sure. Um, and we see that. Like, Buffy kind of did it. Yo, Buffy has metaplots for every single season, yeah. Right. Um, and we've seen it. Supernatural definitely did it, without a doubt. Sure. Like, every season had something. And I, I feel that that thin line of plot that gets tied back in every time is an additive process. Mm-hmm. You know, this creature showed up here, but the question is, is why is, how did they get here in the first place? Right, right. Who, who put Pandora's box here? It didn't wash up on the shore where, you know, 60 miles inland at a small town next to a mine. Yeah. Where did this come from? Nine, nine hunts into your campaign. You're like, this is the third demon we've killed. What is going on? Yeah. Who is summoning these things? Or worse yet. This you're nine episodes in, and this is your third time you've come to the same town to kill another demon. Right. What is wrong with this town? <laughs> it has its own hellmouth. Yeah. Right. Right. And and that's the thing is is that like it's the loops that come back. It's the it's the little things like why do we keep finding silver? Mm-hmm. Why do we keep what what is happening with these situations? You know where things can slowly tie together to create a canvas. Mm-hmm. Now the canvas is laid out, but each time it gets laid out a bit more for your players, you have two choices. Have the canvas displayed like you should, like this game paints to, where you have six phases, and at the end of the six, you are presenting the canvas because it's following a trajectory, and maybe the players see it, and maybe they don't. But you you phase through it, yeah, just yeah. like you phase each adventure. So just take the scale and broaden it. Yep. And that that's my thing, is that the game is presenting you all the tools you need. Is What is the monster? Okay? Mm-hmm. What, is, what does it want? What is its path? Who is involved? Do you have a smoking man? Do you have, do you have an organization? Like a, a, a shadow cult? Do you have mundane people who are trying to track this as well? The FBI, maybe even. You know, 
who are other players who intersect into each story to ask a question or mm-hmm. to present something for their own needs. And then just follow the same formula that the game gives you. Yeah. At a broader scale. That's it. Yep. And, and you, there's your there's your formula. Nothing's changed. The formula's just lifted to a higher level. Ten of ten, I have nothing to add. Okay. That that's that that would be my 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 thought to you, Overwatch, and I I know you will take that and uh, go buy a twenty dollar book. Uh, <laughs> Not that I think you need the twenty dollar book, but it's really nice to have. Everyone needs a twenty. Everybody book. needs a twenty dollar book every once in a while. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry, Draven. You're putting another book on your shelf. <laughs> Deal with it. I'm not sorry. <laughs> you, this one needs to be on your shelf. Honestly, I, I probably believe that he does have it on his shelf. Probably. Really, if he doesn't, he needs it. So for one of his twelve games. God, man. Uh, 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 all right. I, I will pause. Yeah. No. How many players do you think you should you should run in this game? Because that is one thing that is not in the book. Uh you know, I think. This is one of those games I think you could get away with a slightly larger group. Like, I think certain games, especially Dungeons & Dragons and and D&D adjacent games, Mm -hmm. fall apart the more players you have. Because things like ammunition, uh, well, like action economy. Right, that's a a thing. The munitia of the game. Yeah, yeah. The the action economy of of how fights are supposed to be balanced and Mm -hmm. stuff like that with the numerical numerical values of things are, are... very well balanced around four players. Mm-hmm. Um, you start getting up into six and things, six and seven, and things start getting a little tilted. You have to start kind of modifying how you play the game a little bit from how the book teaches you to play the game. Yeah. This game, because it's heavily narrative, you don't have those balance issues. Um, and I think because everybody has such a clearly defined role in the group, being mm-hmm. that you can't duplicate playbooks. Mm-hmm. I think it's very easy to run a six-person game in this. I mean, you've obviously got the complication of running a story for six people, but everybody has a built-in spotlight when their bailiwick comes up. I agree. I agree with all of that. And that is the second part of it, which I'm going to say, is is that running an episode that splits nights without having everyone there starts to feel a little more challenging. But that challenge now sits on the player's to collaborate and figure out how they're going to move forward because that person is unavailable. Yeah, sure. I mean, but it pushes that envelope versus the, oh, we don't have our healer, so we can't continue this dungeon. Right, right, right. Now it's, oh, so-and-so is stuck in the bathroom with diarrhea. Crap. All right, what are we going to do now? Mm-hmm. And you've got to figure that out. Yeah. But it's it's not the same level of dire. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's different. Well, I mean, maybe for them it is. But, yeah, and there were episodes know. of Buffy where not everybody was in them, you know? Yep. For whatever reason, yeah, and they just come up with a contrivance yep. for it, you know, like, oh, where, where's Xander? Oh, he's at some, you know, carpentry uh, uh, conference uh, in in Chicago. Like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. Like, he's just not here. Like, right? I don't know. Was 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 the the actor just not available? Like, we don't know. Yeah, you know. or likely, or the other thing is, while moving through an action, they get knocked out. Yeah, they're knocked out of the scene. You know, covered over in debris, but they're okay. You or, know? or you know, like you said, you know, maybe, maybe just maybe they are sick with maybe the character is sick with diarrhea at yeah. home. You know, yeah. like and occasionally you call them up and you're like, "Hey, how you doing, buddy?" And like, "Oh, not so good. Yeah. I don't know, I'm feeling great." But like, "Hey, do you still have that book?" "Yeah, I do. Hold on, let me. Hold. You know what? Hold on. I, I, I gotta go." I was like, "Okay, no, no, no. <laughs> take, you take care of that. Yep. Just I'll be by in twenty minutes. <laughs> Hopefully, you'll have enough time. Yep. But that's that's the thing is is that you can change it because it's narrative yeah it's collaborative yeah i love it so 
All right. Next week. Next week's topic. Well, I think this is going to be a fun one, actually. I, you've been wanting to do this for a while. Yeah. So. We have talked a little bit in the past about reskinning stories. Yep. Okay. About how t- you you can, like, you can do anything you want. Okay. It's your own home game. As long as you are not publishing this material, mm-hmm. copyright, plagiarism, those are words that are meaningless to you. Okay? Right. Fair use for your own home game, just doing whatever you want. Yep. We are not talking about publishing people's works. Correct. Okay. We're talking about playing a fun home game with no money is exchanged. Right. Taking a movie or mm-hmm. a book, mm-hmm. filing the serial numbers off of it, shoving it into your genre and spitting it out the other end is a plot for your role playing game. And and not only that, but doing it sometimes it's so well that your players don't realize they're in it until it's too late. Yeah, I think that's kind of the that's that would be the goal. I think is filing the serial numbers off of it effectively enough they don't realize they're playing Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, yeah. and are taking this game super seriously, and you're snickering because it's one of your favorite cartoon based movies. You know. Yep. Yep. So, we'll be filing off those serial numbers uh, next next week. No. Yes, I will say next week. We're, for for our listeners, it will be next week. It will week, be next yes. week. Uh, so please join our Discord and uh, ask some questions on that. Uh, throw us some ideas and we'll uh, we'll see what oh, kind of yeah, out Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Throw us, throw us a couple movies. Uh, we'll, we'll probably only do like three three or four of them. Yeah. Um, but Again, try and pick team movies. Movies that have a group of individuals so that we can... We can file off the serial numbers properly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we'll f- f- file them off and and maybe give us a genre along with them. Like, you know, if yeah, you to put s- it in. So, like, if you want the mummy done in space. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Give us that. Or give give like that. us that, right. right. All right. All right. So you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern time on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash Conclave. And uh, join us up on our Discord, toss us some questions, bounce some ideas off of other great storytellers that are up there. You can find that link on our Twitter as well as our website, StorytellerConclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members who help us out every single month, especially our name members, Knox in the Box, Subject, The Arcane Asylum, Veteran, James, Sam, Sean, and Sparkle Merchant, and Hulubu. We appreciate all of your support. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at ArcaneAnthems.com or on Instagram at Arcane Anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warrior by Geefrog. You can find them at geefrog.bandham.com or on YouTube Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout-out, as always, to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank, Thank you so you. much for loving and supporting us. All of our friends who sat with us at our tables over these years to give these great stories to share with you. And you, every single one of our listeners, we love you guys so much. Love you guys. Good night. Good night.